Last week, uh, hopefully it was an encouragement to you on the importance of prayer and jumping into that again. the basis of this, uh, the last two Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, is the disciples coming before Jesus and expressing to him, saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. Okay, them, them coming before him and saying, hey, Judah, for some reason it ain't working again. So whatever you got to click on for the clicker. Um, them coming to Jesus and saying, hey, we're watching your prayers, we're seeing your prayers, we're seeing how you pray, we're seeing how the disciples of John pray. And they come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's been a desire of my heart, especially a lot over this last year, where God has impressed upon me uh, very strongly the need to grow in my prayer life, to actually prioritize a prayer life. It's amazing to me when I look at my Christian walk, how much I have neglected prayer. Again, I said last week, don't get me wrong, there's, I pray, but neglected the seriousness of spending time with God in prayer. Uh, seeing the importance of it, understanding the importance of it, and really seeking after it and desiring it. And there was something I read recently in the last couple of months that really, um, it scared me for a moment. But then it encouraged me. It scared me because of the seriousness of what the the author was saying, but then it encouraged me because um, I started thinking about my own desire to pray. But the author was talking about, and he was showing how from Scripture that if you are a person that has been born again, if you are a person that has the Spirit of God in you, right, to whatever degree, there's going to be a part of you, there's going to be desire within you. And here's the thing, when we, when we pile the world on top of it, it might not feel that strong, but it's always there, this desire to pray. Right? There's always this part of you that's like, even if you don't have a very strong prayer life, even if it's something that you neglect, even if it's something like you, you, like me that I've struggled with for so long, there's always been a part of me that longed for it. Right? There's always been a part of me that longed for it. Even if I wasn't doing a very good job of seeking after, after it and prioritizing it, there's always been a part of me that longed to pray. But then the author said something, this is the part that scared me. He said, those that are not in a relationship with Christ, those that do not have the Spirit of God in them, those that don't have Jesus, they have no desire to pray. Why would they? Why would they have a desire to connect with their Creator, to connect with their Redeemer, and connect with their Father like we talked about last week? There's no desire. So there was this moment of like fear, of like, oh my goodness, that's a place where I don't want to be. And then God encouraged me, says, yes, but you still desire. There's a longing that you have to be with me. So this morning, I, I want to uh, just us to stop and think about that for a moment and tap into that, that desire. Hopefully that desire that you have, even if you're not good at praying and you're afraid of praying and you avoid praying or whatever your place is with your prayer life, is there a least that desire. Like, oh, I long. I long to be a prayerful person. I long to be in the presence of my God, even if it scares me or confuses me or I avoid it. As I was doing research, I always like looking at quotes at what other people say about different subjects. And I, I really, I had to laugh at this because I thought it was so interesting. But um, okay, so I'm on and it's, there we go. Benjamin Franklin said this, work as if you were to live a hundred years, pray as if you were to die tomorrow. When I read that, I, I kind of skimmed over it, then I really thought about it. And what's interesting about this, this statement by Benjamin Franklin is this. Um, if you're like me, there's probably been times in your life where, again, you desire to spend time in prayer and you want to be in the presence of God, but you fall into these traps of things like this. I'm just so darn busy. Man, I got so much stuff I got to get done. And we treat our work, we treat the responsibilities of the day, we treat those things like they're the priority, and and we we act like, well, I got to get this done. These things have to be done. Because if I don't get them done, we, we actually act towards the things in our lives. We act like we might die tomorrow. And Franklin here is like, I just love how he's putting this. He's like, listen, work as if you have hundreds of years, have 100 years to live. But our attitude, toward, attitude towards prayer should be, this might be my last day. In fact, Martin Luther, I, I, there was a, a great thing that Martin Luther said when it came to prayer. Martin Luther was talking in his journal, and he, see, he was talking about how busy he was. He says, oh my goodness, I have so much stuff to get done. Paraphrasing here, because he said it in that old English type stuff. But he's like, I have so much stuff to get done. I don't know how I'm going to get it done. And he kept talking about all the lists that he had to do. And he says, I am so busy that tomorrow I'm going to have to spend at least three hours in prayer. 
I mean, Luther's mentality was, I have so much to get done. That means I need to spend even more time in the presence of God to get it done. I remember meeting a pastor once, a missionary and a pastor, and, and, and they were talking about their prayer life and the amazing things that God was doing in their life. And, and they were talking about how busy they were and how all these churches that they were part of and all the people they were training. And I remember them talking about, you know, again, their schedule. And the question was asked, when do you find time to be in the presence of God? And he's like, well, uh, this is my schedule. He says, I know that when the day starts, the day is going to be too busy and I'll never, he's like my flesh, I won't, I won't find time to be in the presence of God. I'll fall into my to-do list and, and I'll chase after all the stuff that I got to do during the day. So he's like, what I do is I, I get up every morning or in the middle of the night, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning every day and I spend at least two hours in the presence of God. And then I go back to sleep for about another two hours and then I start my day. And I, and I sat there just like, and, and this is that part of like longing, right? It's like, oh, that sounds so amazing. And then it's like, yeah, but that's, no, I don't want to do that. But then you hear about the life that these people live for, for God, and you sit there and you say, I desperately want that. And remember last week, if you were here, or you heard the sermon. It was like, I want those things. I want a life like that. I want to experience God in those way, in, in, in that way or in these powerful ways, but yet I don't want to put in the work. Right? And prayer requires intentionality. It requires us to actually actively seek after it and to do it. As we jump into this this morning, I want us to take a moment and evaluate the status of our lives. I want us to evaluate the status of our spiritual walk. And as we do this evaluation, I don't like doing evaluation. Evaluation is never fun, especially when you're looking at yourself. Because the tendency is, is if you evaluate yourself, at least when I evaluate myself, and if I'm not meeting the, the expectations that I think I should, I start getting down on myself and I start feeling guilty. The intention of this is not to make us feel guilty, but the intention of this is to actually ask ourselves, what do we want out of our lives, especially our walk with Christ? So just to think about some stuff when it comes to the status of our spiritual life or the status of ourselves today. And I, I just want you to think about this as I walk through this and ask yourself, does this sound like maybe your walk with Jesus right now? Or does this sound like more of where you're at? One would be this, do you, do you feel like when it comes to your spiritual walk, you, you just feel more weakness? Like, you just feel weak as a Christian. Your faith feels weak. You feel weak. Right? You, you hear about these things of the power that should be yours as a Christian, but you don't experience those. You just feel a, a, this weakness in everything when it comes to your faith and your devotion and your desire to do stuff. You have intentionality, you have a desire, but there's just no power there to actually make it happen? Do you feel distance from God? Yeah, you know he's with you. I'm not trying to say that you don't. I'm not trying to say that you don't believe that he's always there, but you just feel distant from God. You don't feel like he's near to you. You don't feel like you're as near to him as you desire to be. You just feel like there's this great chasm between you and God, this distance between you and him. Do you feel confusion Confusion towards, you don't know what to do in life. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what he wants from me. Confusion of what the answers are. Whatever you're facing in life, you're seeing things in front of you, and you don't know what direction to take. You don't know what the purpose is. You don't know what he's, he longs for you. You don't even know what God wants from you. You just kind of sit there, what's the reason for my existence? What's the reason for me to be in church? What's the reason for me to be with God? What, is he, what did he create me for? All of these things. Do you struggle with confusion? How often do you struggle with an uneasy spirit? Right? Things just don't feel right. There's just an uneasiness towards things. You see the stuff that goes on in the world around us, and instead of a peace, you feel uneasiness. Towards decisions, you feel uneasiness. There's just this part of you that doesn't, again, feel right. And how about this? Is there a possibility that you struggle with doubt? Every decision you make, you doubt. Every promise of the Bible, even though you know it's true, you still doubt it. See, one of the things I struggle with in my own Christian walk for many times, and I still struggle with it now from time to time, is I can look at any single one of you, and I can speak over you the promises of God, and I will believe it 100%. But there's been many times that I'll doubt it for myself. 
doubt on, am I doing the right thing? Doubt in, am I in the right place? Doubt in every aspect of life, even in whether or not God hears you, wants you, has forgiven you, whatever. Just a spirit of doubt. The reason I'm asking these questions is because as I was thinking about this and processing through this and as I was looking back over my own life and I was looking back over in the last, even the last few months, uh, the last year, and, I, and as I've been desiring to understand prayer more, I started to think about this. You're like, you know what, God, when I am not in prayer, when prayer is not a priority of my life, guess what I feel? I feel weak. I feel distant. I feel confused. I feel uneasy. And I struggle with doubt. But do you know that what we get when we actually prioritize prayer? When prayer is where it needs to be in our lives, when prayer is the priority it's called to be, guess what we get? We get power. We get intimacy. We get wisdom. We get peace. And we get confidence. The complete opposite of everything else I just talked about is ours when we spend time with God in prayer. So again, I start with that to ask, let's evaluate ourselves. Where are we at? Do we feel these other things? Weakness, distance, confusion, uneasiness, and doubt. And if you do, then I'm going to ask you to ask yourself the question, how is my prayer life? How is my prayer life, my time in the presence of God? Because that is not what God desires for us. He actually, he actually desires the complete opposite. Power, intimacy, wisdom, peace, and confidence. This morning, we're going to process through uh, three ways that we are called to pray. We are called to pray continually, corporately, and privately. We're going to process through these quickly because I want to let you in on a little something. What I would like to do is I want to end the service. I want to end the sermon with enough time for us to actually spend some time in prayer. Let's not just talk about it. Let's actually spend some time doing it. I said that to my wife, and I think in the back of her mind, she kind of chuckled to herself like, do you really think you can get done that fast? But I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. So we're going to process through these real quick, the first, uh, these three, just to understand them a little bit better. So the first one, three scriptures. I want to show you scripturally where these are found. So three scriptures just to show you that we are to pray continually. The Bible tells us, pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. We are commanded in Scripture to be in prayer continually. To have a spirit of prayer always and continually. What does that mean? Well, basically, it's prayer that is on the go. It's prayer based on the fact that God is always with us. Scripture actually tells us that there is no place that we can go where we are separated from His presence. So when we're called to pray continually, it's when we live our lives understanding the truth that God is with you at all times. Meaning, just if I had a friend next to me all throughout the day, at any moment, at any time, I would be in consistent and constant communication with them. This is what Scripture calls us to, to have a mindset where we are constantly conversing with God. We are constantly understanding that God is with us. We are constantly listening for His guidance and for His voice. We are constantly entering into every situation, every circumstance, knowing that God Himself is with us. And we are constantly and continually in conversation with Him. There is never a moment that you and I cannot ask God for help. There is never a moment or a time where we cannot ask God for guidance. There is never a moment that we can't just stop and enjoy the presence of God and speak to Him about whatever we want to. Because it's impossible for us to go anywhere where God's presence is not with us. Why is this also important? Because if we started living our lives, think about this just for a moment. If we started living our lives, and this is something I still am trying to get in my head as often as I can. Imagine how your life would look different if you mentally pictured God standing next to you every moment of every day. Imagine how your speech would change. Imagine how your actions would change. Imagine how your thoughts would change. 
where we enter into this understanding that we are in constant and continual communion with God because he is always with us. Why is this important? So let's think about this for a second. Let's go to the next slide. So continual prayers, this is what it's based on. When we choose to live our lives in continual prayer, we do this because we understand our dependency on God. Right? We do this, we enter into this prayer life because we know that in and of ourselves, apart from Him, we can do nothing. A person that is in continual prayer to God is a person that understands their utter dependence upon God. One of my favorite songs from back when I was a teenager, when we used to attend, you know, uh, worship services and stuff, uh, uh, This is the Air I Breathe. Right? This this simple chorus of saying, this is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. Right? The understanding as a Christian, when it comes to our prayer life, we pray continually to God because we need God more than the very air that we breathe. You ever had that moment where you couldn't breathe and the panic that sets in? The panic of this life-giving substance that God has given to you and gasping, and you will fight for it. I have a very vivid memory that pops into my head almost every time I go swimming of when we were at the Vinton pool and I was a kid and I was wrestling with somebody and about three of us got into this wrestling match and all of a sudden I got pinned under the water and my brain went into panic mode for breath and I remember fighting. Like everything in me was like I was fighting for my life. Now, granted, I wasn't to that point, but mentally I was there. Mentally, I was like, you were trying to kill me, and everything in me fought for my life, saying, I need that desperate breath. I need air. And I fought until I got back up on top of the water to suck in that air. The question I have for us as Christians is, do we have that same mentality when it comes to being in the presence of God knowing that he's with us always so dependent upon him that we see the need for him even more important than the air that you breathe. Because here's the thing, even though I want air, if the time ever came where God decides to make me not have air and my life ends, I still have him because I will close my eyes in this place and I will open them in eternity with him. He is more important than the air that you breathe. So to be in constant and continual prayer with God is to understand our dependency upon God. But it also is to understand our need for submission before God. When we are in continual prayer with God, when we understand that he is with us every step of the way, he is always right there with us. Imagine again the submission that enters into your life where we start living every moment of every day with the same words as Jesus. Not my will, but your will, Jesus. Lord, every time I'm in a situation where I need to know what direction to go, I'm going to seek you for guidance. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to seek your voice. I'm going to seek your will. I'm going to ask, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'm not just going to make decisions on my own, but I'm going to know that you're there with me and I can trust you and I can seek after you and your spirit is going to speak to me and guide me and I'm going to submit to what you want from me. I don't know if uh, you remember, I've said this, you know, before in other sermons, but because the lesson that I've learned, because I know my own sinfulness, I know there's nothing good in me. And what I mean by that is when there are moments in my life when God wants me to do something kind to somebody else, I have come to the realization that that is not the goodness in me, that's the Spirit of God leading me. Because in and of myself, I want to be selfish. I want it to be about me. So even on that daily life, that submission is when God moves in my heart to say, David, go say this to this person or go do this for this person or David, pay attention to what's happening with this person and notice it. Those are those moments when the Spirit of God that is in me and that is with me, He's calling me to live in submission and that's that moment of prayer to be in constant communication with God and submission to God to live out the will of God. The last thing to understand about continual prayer is imagine the joy that it's going to bring to your life to be in constant and continual prayer with God. I mean, think about that. If we started living in a way that we are constantly and continually in communion with God and we are just in that place in our lives on a daily basis where we are consistently in prayer, constantly in prayer, imagine the joy that it will bring to your life when you hear the voice of your Savior whispering in your ear. When you feel the arms of his power wrapping around you in those moments of struggle. 
to experience the joy of him saying, hey, I know you're afraid, but I'm here with you. Those moments of him saying, I know you feel like you can't do this, but you can because I'm right here. The joy when he reminds you of who you are. See, it's amazing when you think about it. Continual prayer means that at any point in time in your life, in my life, I have the ability to climb up into the lap of God, to be embraced by him, and to have him whisper and remind me, you're my child. Imagine what joy that would bring if we started living our lives with this mentality and this understanding that God is with us right there all the time. That no matter what comes against us, he's going to step up and fight for us. You know, he's not here right now. I don't know if he'll be at second service, but when I was younger, there's 10 years between my brother and myself. So I'm going to use him as an example because he's not here and there's no video record of this. Um, So my brother was 10 years older than me and anybody that knows my brother, if you see my brother, my brother when I was younger was a very scary individual, very scary individual. Um... What I used to like to do when I was 10 years, you know, again, there's 10 years between us. So what I like to do is people that knew my brother, I knew I could be a smart mouth. Because if I said anything and they'd want to take it out on me, I could be like, hey, don't mess with me. Because you have to mess with my brother. I used it to my advantage. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. But I used it as an example because imagine this. Every time the enemy comes against you, imagine the continual joy that you will have whenever the enemy comes against you and tries to take you out. You can say, you better back off or you're going to mess with daddy. Amen. See, a lot of times the enemy gets us that we don't live in continual prayer, that when he attacks us, we actually cower and run because we think we're doing it on our own. But when we live in continual and constant prayer, we have the joy to be able to say, you can come after me, whatever you got, because you're going to have to mess with dad. But see, that's the mentality that most of us don't carry in our daily lives. In fact, we think we're on our own too much of the time. And God is trying to tell us, no, you're not. So let's move on to the the second aspect of prayer. We're to pray corporately. Scripture says in Acts that the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want us to understand that when we hear that Scripture, all of these that they're talking about here are actually being done in the context of corporate worship. This is being done corporately as the church. As the church, corporately, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Corporately, as the church, they devoted themselves to the fellowship of the church. Corporately, they devoted themselves to breaking of bread. And most importantly, they devoted themselves to prayer. If you look at Acts, one of the things that's really interesting about Acts is there's a lot of amazing things that God does in the book of Acts. And a lot of them, if you really pay attention to it, they start with God's church gathered together praying. It's the people of God gathered together in one place praying where God then manifests himself and he moves among them and he does amazing things in their presence. One of the things that I like to study a little bit when I have time is I like to study uh, revivals of the past. I like to look back and and see when God's uh, spirit moved in powerful ways, when revival broke out, where communities, complete communities were saved, or the entire nation, God just moved through an entire nation, or he moved through the world. And if you trace back, if you look at every revival, every great outpouring of God's spirit, every time God moved in a powerful way, and when I say powerful, I mean he just completely changed everything. If you look at every single one of them, you can trace them back and you will find the same thing at the beginning of each and every one of them. And that is a group of Christians that faithfully gathered together and prayed. One of my favorite stories back in the 1800s is actually in New York when there was a revival that broke out in New York and it actually was part of the, you know, one of the awakenings in in, um, America. Uh, But you go back and it was actually, there was one man, there was a businessman who had this moving of God. God felt he was saying, you need to spend time in prayer, get others to pray. So this businessman started to go around Manhattan and he started to hand out flyers that basically said, hey, during your lunch hour, come and, and let's pray. He had the address, he had the time, let's spend an hour together in prayer. The first time that they did it, he's sitting there in the room, he's got the chairs all set up and nobody shows up. 
Normally what happens in those moments today is we try to do prayer meetings and nobody shows up. We're like, well, that was a bust. And we just stop. But this man was like, God didn't call me to pray just with a group of people. He called me to pray. So this man started praying. Every lunch hour, he started praying. And that first day, he starts praying. And as he's praying, he's in the presence of God. And he's praying for salvation. He's calling people by name. He's saying, Lord, save this person. He's calling his family by name, his friends by name, his business associates by name. And as he's praying, he starts hearing footsteps coming. And the door opens. And a couple men come in and join him. And it starts out to be a handful of men that are praying. Within a matter of weeks... God had moved in such a way that every day in New York, there were prayer meetings all over the city where men and women would come together and they would cry out to God and they would call people by name saying, Lord, save this person by name. They would call out and there was this great revival of people coming to know Jesus. And it all started by one person saying, God is calling us to pray corporately together. I share that because I ask the question of this. Let's think about us as a church. Blessed hope. What could God do in our community if we started faithfully gathering together corporately and praying for the salvation of our loved ones by name? If we gathered together by name and called them out, and said, Lord, together we are crying out to you for the salvation of those we care about, for those we love. And we kept doing it until God actually answered. It makes me wonder when we pray corporately together. Corporate prayer is not just done as a complete church. I want us to stop and think about this because corporate prayer is that which is done with others, meaning we as Christians should be corporate, having corporate prayer with our spouses. That's corporate prayer. We're praying with another. As a family, we should be engaging in corporate prayer. In our small groups, we should be prioritizing always corporate prayer with one another. Anytime we meet with another believer, that's corporate prayer. When we have prayer meetings, corporate prayer. Again, I remember reading a quote once by another pastor that said this, and it's stuck with me ever since I read it. You cannot, engage, or you cannot determine the spiritual health of a church based on how many people show up on Sunday morning. You determine the spiritual health of a church based on how many people show up at the prayer meeting. Think about that for a moment. We put so much priority on how many people show up on Sunday morning, but God says, listen, I want you to engage me and seek after me as a church. I want you to get on your knees before me. I want you to cry out to me. I want you to call out to me. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Corporately, we are called to pray corporately. So let's think about it this way. If you want to go to the next slide, Judah. Corporate prayer, a couple things that it does. Corporate prayer binds the church together. When we pray corporately, it binds us together. There was a, a, a quote by Charles Finney that says this, Nothing tends to cement the hearts of Christians more than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. There's something supernatural that happens when we gather together and lift our voices in prayer. I hear your heart. You hear my heart. And together, God takes our hearts and he binds them together in a way that we have never experienced before. I believe this is, whole, I believe this is true more than anything else when it comes to corporate prayer, that God binds us together. That's why I think Satan works so hard to keep us afraid of praying in groups. Think about it. Think about how many people in the church today struggle to pray in groups. We struggle to offer prayer in front of anybody. And I'm not saying this to come down on anybody that's in that place. I'm really not. I'm not saying, hey, you should feel horrible about that. What I want you to understand is that's the enemy that's actually trying to keep you from being binded together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the enemy that's trying to work against you. That's the enemy that's trying to keep you separated and isolated. When God says there's nothing better than when my people lift their voices together in prayer. 
So it binds us together. The second thing that it does is it builds our faith. Whether you realize it or not, when you hear other Christians praying, it will encourage your faith. It will build up your faith. God will use that to motivate you and to excite you and to bring you into his presence. It will build you up to hear your brothers and sisters praying. But not only will it build you up, I want you to think about this and realize this. God will use your prayers to build others up. See, that's the other thing the enemy doesn't want you to be used for. He doesn't want you to be built up, but he really doesn't want to use you to build anybody else up either. He doesn't want to use you in any powerful way to build up the church, to unite the church, to energize the church. And this is why he makes us afraid of things like corporate prayer together. So let's go to the last one. Pray privately. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We are called as Christians to not only pray continually, but we also need to be people that pray privately. Meaning, I truly believe that every single day of your life, every single one of us needs to have an intimate moment where we close everything else off and we come into the presence of God and we pray. Where continual prayer is those things that I'm doing while I'm on the go. Continual prayer is those things that I can do when I'm cleaning the house or doing yard work or when I'm at my job, I'm doing something, but I can always be in communion and conversation with God because he's always with me. Private prayer is when we shut everything down. Private prayer is when we say, Lord, there is nothing else that matters, but I'm just going to spend time talking to you. I'm going to enter into my secret place. And, and, and again, it doesn't matter where that's at. It could be in a, actually have a room that you go into. It can be outside. It could be anywhere you want it to be. But it's that place where it's not, Lord, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm praying to you and this. It's, Lord, all I'm doing is talking to you. All I'm doing is spending time with you. All I'm doing is placing my prayers before you. If you go to the next slide, I, I love this from uh, the Old Testament. It says in Exodus, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Private prayer is when we choose to do the same thing Moses did when he entered into the tabernacle and he would spend time talking to God. Private prayer is when we slow everything else down, we stop it, we enter into the Holy of Holies and we speak to God face to face. It's an appointment with the holy, holy God of the universe. It's that moment where we say, Lord, it's not a rush thing. It's, it's a moment when I'm just going to make you the one and only priority. What do we get through private prayer? Go to the next slide. Private prayer gives us this. And while this can come through other forms of prayer, this is why on a daily basis we should be seeking to spend time in the closet alone with God. First, private prayer gives us revelation. Meaning, when we enter into the secret place with God, when we enter into prayer privately with God, God is going to reveal himself to us. God is going to reveal ourselves to us. He's going to show us ourselves. If you're in a place where you need wisdom, when you need God to speak to you about a decision or something that needs to happen, it's in the prayer closet where that happens. Seek after God in the prayer closet, in the secret place, because you're seeking his wisdom. I remember meeting a, a businessman once, very successful, successful businessman. And he was talking about how it seems like everything he, he would enter into he, he had success with. And, and when asked why, how is it that you, you constantly know what decisions to make and what direction to go, he says, because anytime someone comes to me with any kind of business proposal, even if it looks absolutely perfect, I will never make any decision when it comes to business unless I spend three days in the presence of God fasting and praying. I will never rush into any decision ever. Because I seek revelation. I seek wisdom. 
I seek God before making any type of decision. Isn't it interesting how our world likes to show us deals? I'm just thinking about this from a business or a, a buying something. Isn't it interesting how we see deals and we get told, you better jump on this now or you're going to miss the opportunity? What if we as Christians said, you know what, I guess if I miss the opportunity, that means God didn't want me to have it in the first place. I've done that in stupid ways, just to share you a really stupid story, because it really was stupid. I remember the first time I ever went Black Friday shopping. I don't do Black Friday shopping. Not because I'm against it. I don't like people. Okay. <laughs> we were in Missouri, and there was a TV, big screen TV, that I was in the paper for Walmart, and I wanted it. And I'm like, it, it went on sale at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to get up at 5.55 and I'll go to Walmart and I'll get it. My, my wife, she loves Black Friday shopping. She's like, you can't do it that way. You've got to be in line at like midnight or you're not going to get one. And I remember it wasn't out of principle. I was like, I'm not losing my sleep over a TV. I'm like, it ain't happening. So I said, and I actually said this to her. I was like, if God wants me to have that TV, there, there'll be a TV. That was my attitude. It's a great story because I showed up and like all the lines were empty and I'm like, oh, I didn't get a TV. And I walk up to it and I was like, can I have this TV? And the lady had a stack of them like that big. And she's like, hey, here you go. I walk, I got my TV. I went around back. I picked it up. I bought it. I picked it up. I left. I did my first Black Friday shopping in 15 minutes. <laughs> Needless, I didn't pray about it. But I'm just saying, if we actually spent time seeking the wisdom of God, God, I'm not making this decision unless I spend time in the closet with you. In the secret place with you, seeking your wisdom, seeking your direction. The second thing that we receive when we enter into the prayer closet, into the secret place, is intimacy. When I think about intimacy, I think of this moment when Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper, and the Bible tells us in John that John had such a relationship with Jesus that John rested his head upon the chest of Jesus. What intimacy John had. What intimacy to be that close with Jesus, that he could rest his head upon the chest of Jesus, to speak with him and whisper and have Jesus whisper in his ear, and they could have these personal conversations between one another that nobody else was part of because of the intimacy that went on between them. When we enter into the secret place with God on a daily basis, imagine the intimacy that's going to grow between you and Jesus. The way he's going to reveal himself to you and show you who he is. And he's going to draw you closer to himself. And every moment that you enter into his presence, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into who God is. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with intimacy with God, then I'm going to challenge and ask the question, how well do you go into your secret place? If you're struggling and you don't feel intimacy with Jesus, then I'm going to go back to that. How is your private prayer life? I'm not talking about your continual prayer life. I'm not talking about when you're doing your day-to-day -day stuff and you're having conversation with God. I'm talking about the moment when you look at Jesus and you say, nothing else matters but you. For the next X amount of minutes, however long it's going to be, Jesus, it's just about you and me. That's it. You're going to grow in intimacy. You're also going to grow in holiness. You can't enter into the holy presence of God and not be transformed into holiness. You can't enter into the amazing presence of God and not come out different and transformed. The more you enter into the secret place, the more you're going to be transformed in the image of Jesus himself. You're going to see your life radically transformed in the presence of God. Because as you enter into his holiness, something amazing is going to happen. He's going to start burning away that sinful nature of yours. He's going to burn away those sinful desires that we all have and we struggle with. Again, I ask the question, how many of us struggle with the constant cycle of our sinful nature and then desiring God and sinful nature? And it just seems like this rat race. It's just that we're just on this constant wheel. I want to grow. I desperately want to grow, but I can't break free of these things that are constantly holding me down, these chains that are constantly holding me down, these habits, these sins, these thoughts that constantly dog me and plague after me, and I can't be free of them. Then I ask the question, how is your private prayer life? How is your prayer life where you enter into the presence of God and you lay down all of these burdens at his feet and the holy radiance of his presence burns them out of your life and you are refined by the fire of God? That happens in the secret place. 
That happens when you come before him in the secret place and spend time with him in the prayer closet, privately seeking and crying out for him. The last one is this. You just experience rest. Jesus said, you know, all those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. I guess the question I would ask for us to really think about is how well do we feel rested spiritually, emotionally? Is our life defined by this rest that Jesus talked about? That doesn't mean we're still not going to be busy. That doesn't mean we're still not going to be chasing after the things that we need to do and the work that he calls us to do. It doesn't mean there's not going to be times where we're physically tired. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that rest that comes, that knows that God is completely in control. God has this under his control. God is sovereign. God is with you. God has saved you. You're no longer questioning and and worrying about all the time. Is he angry with me? Is he not happy with me? Is he... I mean, I've wrestled with those thoughts. Do you know the most times when I'm in the, a place of the most unrest, especially when I'm questioning whether God's mad at me, those times in my life where I felt like God didn't want anything to do with me, do you know the number one place that I avoided, like, I just avoided it, was the prayer closet. But God says, come to me those who are thirsty. Come to me those who are hungry. Come to me those who are tired and wearisome, and I will give you rest. The prayer closet, the secret place, is that moment where we get to daily climb into the presence of God, to climb up into his powerful, everlasting arms. And this idea of God just holding us close to himself, saying, I got this. See, the world wants us to avoid that. Satan wants you to avoid that because if you're not in a place of rest, then you're not going to feel very confident in your relationship with Jesus. You're not going to feel very confident in your mission. You're not going to feel very confident in your ministry. Your, your life is going to be constantly feeling like it's under attack. Your family is going to feel like you're constantly failing. I mean, think about this. This is what the enemy wants for you. He wants you to feel like you're a constant failure. That's what the enemy wants. And I want you to think about that for a moment, because if you're constantly, constantly in that place where you feel like a failure— That's not where God wants you. God wants you in a place where you know that you can rest. Where he reminds you, it's not about your righteousness. It's about my righteousness. It's not about you. It's about me. I'm the one that paid the penalty for you. I'm the one that paid the debt. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that's given you new life. I'm the one that's filled you with my spirit. I'm holding you. I got this. So I want you to ask the question, what's the condition of your prayer life? What is the condition of your secret place? Do you have one? Do you daily enter into it? Now, here's the thing. You might have heard sermons like this before. You've even thought like, you know, I need to be praying on a, on a regular basis. I need to be doing that. Can I tell you right now, it's never going to be easy. If you're not doing it now, it's not like tomorrow it's all going to fit perfectly. And all of a sudden, you're going to be this great prayer warrior. What it requires is the resolve and the intentionality to do it. So those of you that uh, have those that can support you doing it, this is one of the things I haven't even had my conversation with my wife about this yet. So this is kind of putting it out there right now so she can challenge me with this, and I need to challenge her with this. Those of you that are married, you need to go to your spouse and you need to determine with one another, hey, this is my prayer time. You need to help me guard it and protect it. Meaning, during my prayer time, you're responsible for the kids. During the prayer time, you need to keep all distractions away from me, and I'll do the same thing for you. Like, we're going to do this together. In fact, I I thought it was kind of funny. John Wesley's mother, she was was known as an amazing woman of prayer. John John and Charles Wesley's mom. Uh, The way that she entered into her secret room, uh, because she had a lot of kids, and her husband wasn't around very much. And so the way that she entered her secret room, and this is the way the kids knew to leave her alone, if they ever came into the kitchen and she had the apron up over her head, that was leave me alone. Don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't even, don't even make a sound. That was her way of telling them, I am right now in the presence of God and don't bother me. See, we need to start creating that in our own lives. We need to start saying, hey, I'm in my secret place right now. I'm spending time in prayer. Whether it's for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, we enter into the presence of God and we need to work together to keep that sacred. 
And we just have to do it. So here's the challenge that I have for us as we, as we end this, but a challenge, and then let's enter into a time of prayer. But here's the challenge. Let's just commit together to doing it for one month, and let's see what God does. Right? We should do it for longer, but let's just commit together for one month. If you are here today and you do not have a daily time that you enter into the secret place with God, if you do not have a time that you enter into the closet and spend time with God in prayer, let's commit together as a church to do it for one month. Let's see what God does in a month in our lives by us committing together to spend time in prayer with him, just you and him. And what I'm excited about is after a month passes, let's see what God accomplishes. Let's see what testimonies we can give on what God has done in the prayer life. Let's see what he does in our lives. Let's come back in a month and give him praise and glory and testimony by the amazing ways that he's moved in our lives because we have entered into the Holy of Holies and we have spent time in the presence of God. So let's commit together to doing that. Go to the next slide, last slide. Here's something Tozer said that I I just, again, it it just kind of hit me. He said, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect prayer is to wish one way and walk another. So I'm sharing this because here's the thing. If if you're like me and you've had moments in your life and and you've had this like, I desperately want to experience the revival of God. And I'm not just talking about revival in the community. I'm saying personally, like I want to experience the revival of God in my life. I want to experience the outpouring of God in my life. I want God to revive me. I want God to empower me. I want God to unleash himself in me. For me to desire revival and at the same time to neglect prayer is to wish one way and walk another. So, so I just encourage us with this last moment, this, this thought of, of Tozer. It's like, if we truly desire God to be unleashed in our lives, if we truly desire God to be unleashed in our church, if we truly desire God to be unleashed in our community, then let's be people that seek after him in prayer, knowing that that's the way he will do it. Knowing that when I enter into the private place with God, he will pour out revival in me in you when we seek after him. So here's how I want to end. And, and, and this is the thing. Um, I, I want us to enter into a time of prayer. There's no sense in us always ta- just talking about prayer. Let's actually pray. But, but here's how I want to do it. I'm going to ask Amy if you want to go back and, and get this ready. I'm just going to have her be playing music. Uh, I want us to enter in a time of prayer um, where you're at. But I'm also going to offer this. During this time of prayer of us seeking after God, I, I want to offer us an opportunity that goes along with Scripture. In James, James says this. He says, Is any one of you in trouble? Then he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. As we enter into this time of prayer, I want to offer to anybody that can relate to what James is talking about there. If you're here this morning and you're sick, And when I say sick, I'm not just talking physical sickness. I'm talking physical sickness, but I'm talking spiritual sickness, emotional sickness. Like there's things in your life that are holding you back, that are chained you up, that have burdened you. The Bible says, is anybody in trouble? Are you facing a situation where you desperately need God to intercede? Are you here this morning and you just feel parched, dry? You need an outpouring of the Spirit of God in your life. You needed the Spirit of God to pour himself out on you. We sang the song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. Are you in a place here this morning where you know there's sin in your life that you desperately need gone and you need to come to God in confession and say, Lord, forgive me and set me free? Are you here this morning and you just feel like you're in that rut? And it's like, God, I gotta break free. 
Here's what I'm going to offer while we're spending this time in prayer. Anybody that wants to come forward and be anointed with oil, you can come and be anointed and we'll pray for you. Here's the thing. Anybody that's never experienced anointing oil, um, there's nothing, nothing magical about anointing oil. There's nothing powerful about the oil. The oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit of God. See, God's given us these amazing things. He's given us baptism to remind us of the new life that we have in Jesus. He's given us communion so that we can taste the bread and we can taste the, the juice and we can remember his sacrifice. God has called us to anoint with oil because it's a reminder to us that when we pray, we're praying down the very presence of the Holy Spirit to just pour himself out on you. That the power of God will just flood into your life and through your life. Again, there's nothing magical about the oil, but it's another one of those moments where we step out in faith and we say, God, I desperately need your grace. I need your power. I need your mercy. I need you to intercede. I need you to break me free. So as we enter into this time of prayer over the next 10 minutes until service is done, if anybody wants to come forward and be prayed over, to be anointed with oil of whatever situation you're facing, again, if you need healing, if you need God to intercede, if you just need to pour, if you just, need, you just want a fresh anointing of his presence this morning, saying, Lord, just pour yourself out on me. I'm parched, I'm dry, I'm tired of this, I want it different. Then I'm going to invite you to come up and I will pray, we'll anoint, and I'll pray over you. But let's seek the Lord together over the next 10 minutes or so. Amy, go ahead and play that. And just where you're at, seek after him. Let's spend some time in prayer together. But come forward if you want to be anointed and prayed for. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper Underneath your breath I hear your SOS Your SOS Send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter, I'll be your own.